Welcome to the Marketer as Philosopher podcast. Our goal is to help you completely re-envision your role and your work as a marketer or entrepreneur. Now, here are your hosts, Flint McLaughlin, joining us from the rugged mountains of Wolf Creek, Montana, and Daniel Burstein, joining us from the beautiful beaches of Jacksonville, Florida. So this one, Flint, Fast class two, I could feel right in the chest. When you start that class and when you start talking about creating something out of nothing, how do you create a page out of nothing? So I wanted to start this podcast at what you might call the very beginning. I'm going to read from a book, very famous book, not saying this book has all the answers, whatever. If you're listening, whatever book or answers you think work for you, that's fantastic. I'm just saying it's a very famous book about in the beginning, about creating something out of nothing. And it says, when God began to create heaven and earth, the earth being unformed and void with darkness over the surface of the deep. (laughs) And I felt that as a copywriter, as someone who's written and had to create an ad or marketing out of nothing, I felt that, that that darkness and that void. Then it says, a wind from God sweeping over the water. God said, let there be light. And there was light. (laughs) God saw the light was good. And that I've also felt that when you have that idea, that's the worst thing when you have that void and you don't know how to create something out of nothing. But then when you have that idea and you have that epiphany about the customer and you create that messaging, it's, it's so exciting. So I want to ask so you, you, Flint, go on. You're a deeper guy than me. I know you know this book well, and you're, this is the marketer's philosopher. So I want to see if you saw any relation between you know, the creation <laughs> story and creating as a marketer. So you start out by reading from the Torah. Yes. And that's a novel way to begin. Uh, never mind that you're, um, you're equating your task as a copywriter with God's task. It's establishing the world. But I can, say, I can say that if we don't take it too literally, there is uh, something interesting in that passage. And that is there are two words used for creation. One is to create from nothing. And the other is to create from something that already is. And I've found it's much more difficult, metaphorically, to start a page from nothing but a blank pad from an empty space in your mind than it is to, to optimize an existing page. So, Dan, yeah, I, I like- <laughs> that's a wild way to open things. But I, I think, you know, there is a truth that many of us struggle with that sort of, uh, how do you begin? It's hard. How do you begin? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, because I like even even in the beginning of that fast class episode two in the video, you're drawing, you've got that kind of cool tool you use to draw on the screen and you're doing yeah. nothing and you're just kind of drawing that page outline. And and I felt that. So where I felt it, you know, when you're a creative, when you're in marketing, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, I think there's two really important things a marketer do, does and in Flint, you might have some other things they do. And one is to be able to understand and advocate for and, and channel channel the customer. But the other thing is to create, right? And that thing of create, yeah. I, I think this is, uh, maybe I'm kind of full of myself in our industry, but I think this is kind of unique in the working world. I mean, yes, you know, if you're a banker, you're maybe coming up with a new loan or, you know, if you're um, you know, a nurse, you're, you're, you're coming up with a new way to heal people. And those are great professions, but literally, I mean, every time, every time you, you a lot of times are creating out of nothing. So what do you do Flint, when you have to first create out of nothing? Is there like a, a regimen you go through or a place you try to put yourself or? I think sometimes we get so busy that we focus on the wrong element. We focus on uh, that thing in front of us instead of preparing that thing within us. And there is a change that has to happen inside, at least in me, so that I can be ready, so that I can release uh, the energy necessary to doing something remarkable. And you might 
be listening to this and thinking, well, this is so, you know, it's, we're taking ourselves too serious. It's so melodramatic to talk about creation of the world and creation and marketing. But the reality is this, this entire world is established in a social dynamic. And the marketer has a really unique and very challenging role because they have to create something that is not just a, a thing in itself that exists, but something that influences the decisions, the conclusions, and the decisions of others. See, a, a marketer then essentially creates a signal set. The signal set is observed, and those observations produce conclusions, and those conclusions precede decisions. When we don't get what we're after, which is really a yes, it's likely because either we were communicating to the wrong person or we didn't create the right signal set. So when you talk about, you know, communicating to the right person, I mean, right away there, you're talking about something else that sometimes we as marketers can overlook that there are other people, right? So yes. and let me let me explain it this way. When I would first get that job starter, sometimes I wouldn't be thinking of the customer. I mean, honestly, I, I should be. But I wouldn't be thinking about the customer. I'd be thinking yeah. about myself, right? Because I think about like, how am I going to come up with my next idea? I'm never, <laughs> you know, like, sure. yeah, sure, I came up with the last 10 ideas. I'm never going to come up with another idea. And so what I would do is I would copy, I would, well, not really copy, but I would look at uh, the very famous Think Different TV campaign. I would read that script and that would inspire me to get what I thought was in the right frame of mind because I wanted to get in the frame of mind. And here's where I think I kind of messed up. I wanted to get in the frame of mind of that very successful copywriter who created that amazing campaign. But I know you talk about the marketer's blind spot and we're going to get to uh, you create a six question checklist. Very, very specific, very tangible. We're going to get there about how to get in the right frame of mind. But when we talk about that marketer's blind spot, what am I doing wrong when I'm trying to get in the head of the other copywriter? Well, I think it all begins with the problem that is at the essence of everything else we struggle with, ourselves. My number one enemy is self-deception. As a leader, in fact, I've published something on my five biggest mistakes as a leader. Self-deception is my enemy. I remember I was getting ready to teach, and my dad, who was a teacher, also spoke to me about something, and it really impacted me. He told me about an old teacher sitting on a platform getting ready to speak, and next to him was a new, young teacher. And the young teacher was nervous. And, in, and by the way, this wasn't like a, this isn't a parable. This is a real story. The young teacher is wringing his hands and trying to not fidget and thinking about, you know, what he's going to do and is he going to mess up and what are people going to think? And he finally turns to the, to the older man and he says, listen, he said, I don't know how you stay so calm. He said, this, I'm, I'm terrified. He said, what do you do to calm your nerves before you get up to teach? And the answer the older teacher gave, every marketer could learn from. But it also was incredibly direct and almost antagonistic. He said, son, you're too worried about yourself. Get your attention off how you're going to perform and how you're going to look and put your attention on the people you're trying to serve and the rest will take care of itself. And I think you learn from that. And I think as a writer, we're so busy thinking about how we appear and people's impression of us that we hit the writer's block. We hit that obstacle. The obstacle is the way, and often we itself are the obstacle. We've got to move through us and out of us and into the mindset and heart set of the person we're trying to reach. Yeah, that's a great example. You know, when we, you know, Mark and Sherpa had these big summits, thousand people, and I had the honor and the privilege of hosting and speaking. And, um, you know, I am highly introverted. <laughs> 
<laughs> and <laughs> getting up on stage does not come natural to me. So with our uh, HR director, then when she would go around to recruit, she'd say, hey, I hate speaking in front of groups. Can you come with me to this college to speak? And I'd say, sure. And we'd go and we'd speak and stuff. But then when she looked at, you know, we did these behavioral tests here at Mech Labs and she looked at my test and she's like, this test is all wrong. It says you're introverted and you don't like speaking. I'm like, oh, I hate it. But what I learned, exact same thing you said, Flint, what I learned over time is if I get up there and speak and I think about me, I'm going to fall off the stage. I'm not going to do well, you know, but if yeah. I get up there and think, how can we best serve the people in the audience? That's where I was more successful. And I bring that up because I think when we talk about how to create a web page at first, you know, a lot of times as marketers, when we're thinking about whether it's a web page, a landing page, any type of marketing, you know, we're thinking about it as the channel or the mechanism or what you would call the means itself right? We're very focused on that page, but we forget that it's just kind of a a replication of a conversation of us maybe standing on stage and not talking to a thousand people, maybe talking to someone one-on-one, right? There's way too much declaration in our web pages and not enough explanation. When you explain an offering to a friend, you do it very differently. You don't make the claims. It's not proclamation and declaration. It's explanation. But you can't get into that mindset when you're trying to be a professional marketer. In fact, the more experience you have as a marketer, the less likely it is you can tune into what it means to be a consumer. Dan, you may recall this. Years ago, we ran a test where we showed a before and after page. Two pages we ran on a test. One was better than the other substantially. Then we asked an audience of marketers, over a 1,000, to select the page that they thought would produce the highest conversion rate. The first time I ran the test, there was over a 1,000 marketers. It was all being digitally managed and monitored. 74% picked the wrong page. And I thought, wait a second. That means they'd have done better if they flipped a coin. That means a trained monkey could have probably outperformed the marketer. So let's, uh, let's try this again. And I ran this same experiment, a different set, 1,000 marketers or so, 72% picked the wrong page, almost three quarters. Why? It's not because they're not intelligent. It's not because they don't have experience. It's because that very experience is creating too much distance inside between themselves and the person they're trying to reach. In fact, there are, in marketing, only four elements, the sender and the receiver, the message and the means. Now, the essence of marketing is the message, but to get the message right, something has to happen in the sender so that they can tune in to the receiver. A message sent that isn't encoded properly won't be received. Now, we're talking philosophy and physics at the same time, because as a marketer, it's incumbent on you to know the responsibility begins with you. And something has happened inside of you before the right things would happen on the page. Yeah. Let's talk about how to get that right thing happening inside of you. And also, you know, how to get out of our our own heads, how to kind of reduce that blind spot. So sure. in, the, in the second uh, fast class, you brought up these, uh, what's called landing page creation and optimization, six key questions to prepare the marketer. And I think it's great because there's a very specific checklist that people can go through when you're sitting down, when you're like me, <laughs> you're staring at that blank canvas, you're staring at that blank page. You're like, what am I going to do? How am I going to get my next idea? You know, how am I going to create something ultimately that will, you know, serve customers and achieve results? It's a great, simple checklist you can go through and ask yourself. And, uh, you know, you can download this checklist as well. We'll make the, uh, the link available. Let me get right into that, that first question there. And that's, am I just blindly copying someone else's layout 
or have I developed a flow logic that supports my call to action? And <laughs> I really like this one, uh, Flint, because I think we've, you know, kind of both talked about this before, where a lot of times, you know, well, I've been in, a, I'll give you an example. We do, um, you know, these quick win intensives and it was going into the quick win intensive and it was with um, uh, just a, a security company. And we go in and I was looking at, you know, their pages that were printed up on the wall. And then I had their competitor pulled up and I was like, wow, that, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities there. And so at, at one of the breaks, I asked, you know, one of the, the folks about, it, I was like, well, look at, you know, this is kind of like the leader in the field and there's yours. And it, isn't that funny how there's a lot of similarities? And they're like, yeah, every time they change something on their page, we change something on ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, he, they got a bigger budget than us. We figure they know what they're doing. <laughs> but they didn't, right? They were there trying to get a page fixed that wasn't performing properly. I see it all the time. On the exactly. internet, beware of best practices. What you have more often than not is pooled ignorance. One person who doesn't know what they're doing is being copied by another who also doesn't know what they're doing. It's like the blind leading the blind. We, again, are focused on the wrong thing. I don't think you have to focus on the competitors nearly as much as you need to focus on the person you're trying to serve. And if you serve them better than the competitors, then you've got your priorities in the right place and clarity will come. And that clarity is what produces real optimization. Clarity trumps persuasion. Yeah. And so, so if we're not going to just blindly look at our you know, competitors and see what they're doing on their pages. And then where do we start, Flint? Where do we start? If we're not going to just pick up, you know, the competitors and say, let's run with their stuff. Well, you start with, and I think this is sort of touched perhaps in the, in the second question on the checklist. You start with number one, what is my objective? And you don't understand what is my highest objective. Aristotle talked about this because beneath one objective is another. You know, Dan, if I asked you, why do you work here? And you said, because I want to make a living. And I said, but why do you want to make a living? Because I'm going to take care of my family. Then I said, but why do you want to take your, eventually you come to the real reason. Marketer, as simple as it may sound, you better get clear on your objective because so often our pages uh, are, uh, are compromises between warring factions trying to win a real estate turf war. And that's a danger. Someone said a camel is a horse put together by a committee. I have seen so many camels on the internet. And then you have competitors copying the camels. Start with this question. What is my highest and best objective? And by the way, as we talked about in the fast class, 70% of the page's energy needs to be focused on one single objective. If you split it into five equal parts, conversion will tank. So get clear on the objective and then, and I'll stop with this and Dan, we're going to teach this later, but I want to touch it now. And then you have to ask the second most important question, not how do I accomplish my objective? That's a terrible question. It generates a answer, but it doesn't generate the answer. The right question is what is the most effective way to accomplish my objective? And whether you know it or not, you're starting to give a reason. And the reason is the kernel of a hypothesis. And the hypothesis can be validated. The hypothesis can be tested. And we keep testing. And with the results, we either adjust the objective or we adjust the way. That is the answer to the second question. What is the most effective way to accomplish my objective? Back to you, Dan. That's yeah, a lot well, of content in a short period of time. That's I want to pick something out of there specifically because it's something you talked about in the video as well. You talked about that 70%. You talked about dilution in the video. And I think this is something that a lot of times, 
you know, I don't think marketers understand or they're, they're just not really focusing enough on. So let me mention the second question first. It's, have I forced myself to justify every intended page element or am I compromising my highest priority? Which we talked about, you know, the objective. Yes. And this is where it, it, it really becomes so important when you talk about dil dilution. So as marketers, like me, like if we've ever worked in a, in a paid media space. So for example, when I was starting out, you know, you would buy a print ad, you'd buy an ad in the Wall Street Journal, right? And maybe you had a run of, you know, six months of ads once a week or whatever it was. So everyone in the organization might want to have something said about the organization, but there was this limit on it, right? That paid yes. media, that media buy forced a limit. That page in the Wall Street Journal was only so big. There was only so many ads. And so it was easy for that marketer to say, no, no, we don't have the budget to buy another ad. No, there's, there's no more space in the ad itself. However, when we talk now about digital media, about the landing page, about the web page, you know, unless, uh, frankly, us marketers get some spines and, and focus on that highest priority, it's very easy to say to, you know, the 12 different product managers, sure, you all get your thing on the page, you can get your event on there, you can get your promo, we can get some HR stuff on there for hiring, right? But what is that danger? It's that dilution you were talking about. You mentioned that you just touched on this in fast class video number two, but I wanted you to really expand on this so people can understand this danger. Well, there's only three things you can do to improve a page's performance. So this is sort of the, this is sort of philosophy and physics combined. You can add something, remove something, or change something. Pretty hard to think of anything else you could do. And if you are trying to improve the performance of your page right now, and you don't know where to begin, let me suggest you do something very old school. Print the page, get yourself a marker, and cross through every single thing that doesn't actually contribute to your primary objective. When you remove much of that dross, when you get it out of the way, you'll often see a conversion increase just by virtue of the fact that you have simplified the focus and concentrated the energy. And so that's a starting point, Dan. There's a much more we can say on this, but here's the bottom line. Get super clear on what that objective is. Is it to get them to subscribe? Perhaps it's a homepage and your goal isn't to get them to do anything but to click on the right link. That is to move them further into the journey. Perhaps it's an e-commerce category page and your entire goal is to help them find the right offering on that page. Or it's a product page and you need to communicate the value proposition of that product so clearly that it becomes easy to choose. Whatever the objective, spell it out and then make everything else on the page serve it. And when you have that objective spelled out, I think that would be easier to give pushback to others in your organization. Because I think you can say, okay, here's the objective for the page. And then frankly, we can kind of get into like maybe tweaking the value proposition question a bit. I know we're going to get into value proposition, you know, much, much later in the course. But the question essentially is, if I am your ideal customer, why should I buy from you instead of any of your competitors? And that is a great question to throw back at who's ever asking you to add something to the page. How does what you're asking me to add serve the objective and answer that question. Because I've found a lot of times, once you start asking that question and you sh make others shift into the, the customer's shoes, then they can't answer it as much, right? Most of the page should be either communicating the value proposition or supporting it. Much of the page should do that. At the top, the first uh, four inches, the first seven seconds, you need to accomplish three things. They need to know they're in the right place. Because if they don't know that, they'll click on the green arrow and leave. We solve for confusion on the internet by hitting the back button. So you have to answer the question, 
where am I? Or am I in the right place? The second question you have to ask is, is what can I do here? If they're not clear on what they can do, then you have not been clear in designing a page that serves a clear objective. They're looking at many things. They got a banner changing at the top of the page with flash and they've got something over on the left talking to them and moving with color and something on the right and a video over here. And they're not even sure with a defined eye path where they should be going. Your eye path should serve your objective. And while we're talking about it, there's only five ways you can direct the eyes through size, color, shape, motion, or position. Each of these can be used. And the key is, you know, that they need to be relevant or I'm sorry, relative to each other. And for instance, on a page with very little color that has one thing that's red, your eyes will go there. You need to use those five elements to direct their attention so that the eye path serves the objective. This is another reason why many of our pages are so poor because they don't have a clear eye path. They are a hodgepodge of ideas thrown up against the wall. They're modules stacked upon each other without rhyme or reason. People don't buy from websites. People buy from people. And in their mind, there is a conversation and you need to get into the conversation and you need to guide it. Yeah. And as we talked about, you can't just have a conversation with a mass audience or, you know, a generic person, you really have to understand who you're talking to. So I want to get into the third question of the checklist, probably the last question we're going to be able to cover in this episode of the podcast. Uh, do I know who I cannot serve well with this page so I can focus on understanding those who I can serve well? And I like that question so much because it's that's really hard to do. It's really hard to say, oh, we're not going to serve this type of customer, that type of customer. And as an example, I would turn the magnifying glass on our own industry, right? And not to sure. diss anyone, but advertising agencies, they're my favorite because they are, I feel like they're the worst at doing this. There, there are some that are, you know, pretty niche or focused. I will give them credit. But a lot of them, they're all like full service. We can handle everything. We'll handle driving traffic. We'll handle converting traffic. You know, whatever it is, they can handle it, right? So why, why is this a trap we fall into when we're just trying to want to please because, everyone and serve everyone? Because the right yes is earned first through a whole series of the right no's. I've sometimes said one yes equals 10,000 no's. It's not an exact statement. It's just a generalization of a principle. And that is you've got to say no many times so you can say yes the right time. Dan, you've been with us more than 10 years. That means, uh, you know, you're here full time. You've been here all that time. You had to say no so you could say yes. And you've continued to say no to other places so you could still be here. And look what it's done for you. You're rich and famous. You're, you're stealing all my thunder. People like, people like you better than me on the podcast. And so, soon I will be a footnote and I'll be just sort of a, you know, somebody showing up on your show. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Cause if you don't know, Dan got, no, we got he's, feedback. He's very serious. <laughs> <laughs> we got feedback from the first podcast in this series and they loved what Dan's doing. Cause he's really good. I'm fortunate to have Dan, but here's the point. Neither one of us will be together. If we, we neither one of us could say yes to this relationship if we hadn't said no and we weren't continuing to say no. And the same is true when it comes to serving a customer well. If you're saying yes to everybody, then you haven't earned the right to say yes at the right time to the right person. You haven't said enough no's. And the great marketer sometimes can see no faster than they can see yes. Keep saying no. I mean, listen, folks, we talk about marketing, but all of this applies to areas far more profound in your life. I mean, Warren Buffett said yes to a few critical investments because he said no so many times. We all know the story. 
but it sounds like he's having a conversation uh, in keeping with the one we just had. Knowing who you can serve, focusing your energy, saying no so you can say yes. These are deeper, more powerful principles than simply something you use in copywriting. They apply in many directions in your life. And when you can lock into them, they can transform results. Yeah, and it's it's not just an academic conversation. What Flint no. is saying now, this is the conversations we had when we were talking about this very podcast. So, you know, for example, I know if we had, you know, the 10 biggest secrets to SEO success, or, you know, if we had that podcast or, you know, how to fine tune your marketing automation, yeah. Yeah. you know, machine or whatever, you know, maybe that would get us more downloads. And, you know, if we had these really high profile guests we're interviewing that you already knew, it might get us more downloads. But we said, okay, what is, what do we think is missing in this industry? What do the marketers bang, really need and how can we serve them with it? The bane of beauty is scale, Dan. The yeah. bane of beauty is scale. The lust for scale is behind more failed companies and more grotesque uh, organizations than anything else I can think of. We think that we have to have all. We think that we have to keep growing. We think that we have to be huge. So we take, I would say, capital steroids and bloat ourselves up rather than focus tightly on the right thing. And that means no over and over again so you can say yes. And that's critical when you're getting ready to build a great performing landing page. But it's also critical when you're trying to build a great relationship. Yeah. And so I think that's really, I mean, if you take one thing away from this podcast, I would kind of, you know, go back with your business leadership, your team, looking at your landing pages, looking at your products, and really, really tightly define who is it that you can serve better than anyone else. And along with that, who is it that you can't serve, right? Who is it that you should be avoiding and really not trying to serve? So it reminds me of this, this great story uh, from Southwest Airlines. It was the, the <laughs> founder, Herb Kelleher. And Southwest was known for, uh, you know, really good customer service. And I think this was even back before the internet. They're actually writing letters. And, and there was a woman, we'll call her, let's call her Jane, just for Cliff. We'll call her Jane. And she would, uh, Cliff's our producer <laughs> and uh, Jane's his wife. Uh, but, and, and Jane would write in, you know, after every flight and she'd find something to complain about. She'd complain about the seats or the scheduling or the peanuts or whatever. And what was going on in the Southwest organization, they wanted to answer every letter and just kept going higher and higher in the organization because they didn't know how to please Jane. And finally, it got to the CEO's desk, Herb Kelleher, and he got one of her letters and all he said is, Jane, we'll miss you. <laughs> And his, his point was like, you, you don't, you're not really doing something good for the organization by trying to serve all these no. people that you can't. It's better for Jane to find a different airline than for Southwest to water down what is, you know, what, and was a pretty unique value proposition for it. That's absolutely right. And, and even, even this podcast isn't for everyone. So we don't want to beat you up about subscribing all the time. If this is right and you're still with us, it may be a fit because we do something here that's a bit different. But we're grateful when people trust us. We're grateful when you engage. But we want to be faithful to a vision that is very distinct. And to say yes at the right time, we have to say no. Many, many others. Yeah, so Flint, we started this podcast talking about creation. I know it's the creation of the universe and the creation of all. And it's probably <laughs> not very humble of <laughs> that me. That was ambitious, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not very humble of me to compare that to, you know, what we do as marketers. And of course, it's with tongue uh, firmly planted in cheek and it's very inspirational. But I do want to ask before we go, and I'm, I'll share my own as well, um, you know, outside of, of work, let's say, or, you know, like what are some things that 
you do, Flint, to kind of fire up your creative juices and, and inspire you? I know for me, there's there's two things that I've done that have been really helpful. And one, I know it sounds cheesy like it's from some dating ad, but uh, but I really do try to take long walks on the beach. And it's amazing when you get out there, especially early in the morning, you know, when like the sun's coming, it's beautiful and cool. And it just really kind of gives you awe and uh, kind of gets you thinking bigger thoughts than kind of your just specific challenges of your day. Like what's the next case study I'm going to write or what's the next email I'm going to write. So I think that's been really helpful for me. And, and another thing I always found, you know, when I talk about creation, like I, th- this is a very special kind of thing, this very special, I, I hesitate to say even art that we do as marketers. And so I've always been interested in other creative professions. And for me, stand-up comedy has always been been super interesting because what they have to do at the end of the oh, day- these guys are geniuses, is, yeah. Yeah, they're, they don't, you know, we've got all, now as marketers, we've got MarTech, we've got this fancy marketing technology, right? And we could do all these fancy things with it. But at the end of the day, in this very tech-driven world we're in, they're on stage, a stage and a mic, that's it. And you've got to, you know, capture people's attention who, as we talked about, they have a few seconds of attention. We all know these days. You got to capture people's attention for 10 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour, just talking. And so it's been very fascinating to not just, you know, kind of watch those shows and see what they do, but also hear them talk about their creative arts and how they end up creating and how they, they come up with things and how they kind of fashion every word and every syllable to to try to communicate a message just like the same way we have to do in a landing page, so... So that's me, Flint. What do you do? What do you do to fire up your creative juices? Well, I'm sitting here in a pair of boots in the Stetson. and I live off grid in a ranch in the Rocky Mountains. And 12 hours ago, it might have been 13, but between 12 and 13 hours ago, I made a video. I was sitting up in our valley. There are no neighbors, houses. Uh, we're completely surrounded by mountains. Looking at the sky, thinking and writing. And I literally took out my phone and filmed the skyline and made a comment. I'll put it on Instagram, but it was... a comment about the silence. All you could hear was the creek running in the background. There were no car engines. There were no household or domestic sounds. It was that sacred silence. And for me, getting off grid, getting into the right place feeds my energy, feeds my soul. And then uh, quite literally, when I have filled up that part of my spirit, I come down the mountain to the studio and do the work that we do here and to the lab. I'm in Helena right now in the capital of Montana, and when I get off this podcast, I'll head back up the mountain. For me, one of the most important uh, aspects of getting my energy right is being in the right place. Are you carrying any tablets when you're coming down the mountain, or is it just... uh... (laughs) Well, if they are, (laughs) they don't contain the world's wisdom, I can tell you that. (laughs) All right, well, well, you heard today, we've covered the first half. I don't think we have a chance really to do justice to the next half, but the first half of the questions from the FAST class, landing page creation and optimization, six key questions to prepare the marketer. So you can watch the FAST class on YouTube and you can see a little bit about it there. And you can tune into our next podcast to hear the second three questions to help you next time you're staring at a blank page and don't know where to begin. Uh, As Flint had mentioned, you know, we're creating these podcasts for you, the marketer who is, you know, looking at marketing as more than just a bunch of tech and more than a bunch of ad buying. You're looking at marketing as something a little bigger and how can you really get a hold of it and how, how does that affect your life? That These are some of the questions we're going to delve into along with, as Flint did here, giving you some very specific and practical tips. So when you get off, when you hang up this podcast, when you get onto that next landing page, you have ways to improve it. But let us know. 
how, you know, how can we, we've got our own blind spots with our audience. So please let us know how we can serve you better with this podcast. You can email editor at mechlabs.com. That's editor at M-E-C-L-A-B-S.com. And Flint, I believe you're okay if they email you directly as well. Yeah. Yeah. Email me f.mclaughlin at mechlabs.com. And uh, you may need help with a question. You may have a challenge in your business. I, I just want to, I want meaningful work and meaningful relationships. So I try to answer my own email. All right, so join you next time for uh, the second half of these podcast questions. And maybe we'll start a little less grand than the creation of the world, okay? I won't, I won't throw that at you next time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Next week. Thanks, Dan. Thank you, Flynn. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us on the Marketer as Philosopher podcast with Flint McLaughlin and Daniel Burstein.